Welcome to Crossroads, the broadcast ministry of Montgomery's First Baptist Church, where you can discover God's personal plan and power to conquer your problems through Jesus Christ. Join us now as God's Word heals, encourages, and enlightens your spiritual life. Let me invite you to Matthew chapter 13 where you'll find seven kingdom parables. We'll begin in verse 44, we'll go through verse 46, and we'll see two of those parables that describe the kingdom. It may be helpful to find this little piece of paper because move beyond my voice and hear the voice of God speaking to your heart. When you hear it, write it down because today we're going to look at these twin parables. One is about buried treasure the other is about finding a pearl of great price. Now, as you understand what the kingdom of God about, is about, it boils down to this simple truth. The kingdom of God has one necessity, and that is to have a king. And that king is Jesus. When you surrender yourself to King Jesus, and you make him the king of your everything, you become part of his forever kingdom. That is the whole point. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Please make this note. God's kingdom calls for selling out and buying up. If you want to be part of the kingdom, you've got to hear it's called to sell out and to buy up. Now, the Bible it talks a lot about being a good investor, a good steward of God's resources that He loans to you, and, and particularly your money. For instance, Jesus tells 40 kingdom parables. And did you know that 17 of them, 17 of the 40, have to do with your possessions or your money? That's 40% of them. So let me give you a quick Bible quiz to see how up you are on kingdom investing ideas. For instance, who is the first financier in the Bible? The first financier. I would think that it's Noah because he was floating his stock while all the rest of the world was in liquidation. So he would be the first successful financier. Who do you think would be the first investor? Well, the first investor probably is the daughter of Pharaoh because she went down to the Nile and she withdrew a prophet uh, named <laughs> Moses, of course. Well, anyway, uh, you passed those biblical investment quizzes. Uh, but what if I came to you today and I made you a proposal? A proposal that said, I have an investment for you that will produce a thousand percent return. Now, you may step back and say, now, Jay, I'm a little skeptical. After all, there's so many schemers and scammers and get-rich-quick proposals out there. Are you sure? But what if I convinced you that this was a legitimate investment? What, what would you do? Would you sell out and buy up? Would you go small or would you go tall? I have an investment friend and I, I believe in investing. I've been an investor since I was eight years old and bought my first goat. That was the start of my illustrious investing career. I bought an Angora goat. But imagine that you did what a friend told me one of his investors did. 
The year's 1980, 1990, uh, 2004. Let me get the year right. Year's 2004. And this friend has been watching a stock called Google. And Google is proposing that they are going to have an IPO or an initial public offering. And this man is so read up, so convinced that Google is going to go big that he starts to sell out to buy up. As a matter of fact, my friend said, this fellow wasn't ostensibly real wealthy, but he started selling out. He had a boat at the lake. He sold the boat, put the cash over here on the side. He sold all of his stocks, every one that he owned. He even sold a kid. Just kidding. But uh, he, he was uh, selling out, and he accumulated $100,000. And when the Google IPO hit, it started out at $85 a share in 2004, and it began to soar. It split, and now when Google hit 1,500, it's backed off a little bit. That 100,000 is worth 3.5 million. That'd be a pretty good investment, wouldn't it? That's a 1,700% growth on your initial investment. Anybody want some of that? Amen. I'm going to tell you about something that dwarfs Google. It's better than the fang stocks of Facebook, Apple, Netflix, and Google combined. It's better than Bitcoin, and that's hot stuff. Now, I'm telling you, here is what God wants you to invest in. It's the ultimate investment. He wants you to invest in the kingdom of God because the multiplication factor is beyond calculation. It's the greatest investment on planet Earth. That's what Jesus is saying. So when it comes to the kingdom, he wants you to sell out and buy up. Come with me to verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid. And with joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and he sold all. He sold out, and he bought it. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to see the extraordinary value. Help us to see the treasure beyond measure that comes in knowing you and selling out to you. Because we're not getting jipped, Lord. You're not a schemer or a scammer. You're the Savior. So help us right now come to full spiritual attention. Get me out of the way so that your spirit can be released to deposit your transforming truth into every receptive heart. It's in Jesus' name we ask for this help. Amen. Now, Jesus knew the human heart. He knew that we would get excited about hearing stories about buried treasure and precious pearls. So that's why he told this story, because everybody is on the look for what is valuable. We're out there looking out for great opportunities, for treasure, so to speak. I think that's why people go to garage sales. <laughs> you know, they think that one person's trash is going to be their new treasure. 
I won't take a poll, but I bet some of you go to garage sales here in Montgomery, Alabama, because your heart gets excited when you go driving around and you think that you can buy a $4 lamp for $3.25. Oh, that just thrills your heart. You know how that goes at the flea market. But because sometimes the treasure is there. Most of you know the story of what happened on April 4th, 1991. A man in Pennsylvania, he went to a garage sale. And at that garage sale, this man saw a painting. That painting was nothing special. It was a rather dismal outdoor landscape, but he liked the frame. It was kind of ornate. It was only $4. So he bought the frame. He took it home, and he was going to use the frame, so he disassembled it. And behind the picture, do you remember what he found? He found an old yellowed envelope. And he carefully opened it, and within that envelope was the 25th copy of the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> he sold it for $1.6 million. That was a pretty good yard sale find. I think you would agree. So Jesus knows that the human heart gets excited. It gets stirred up over the notion of discovering buried treasure. So he tells these two parables. Now they are twin parables, but they are not identical twins. You see, they basically show us two ways regarding how people connect to Jesus. Let's do the first one. Number one, buried treasure. Buried treasure is the first one. Some stumble over kingdom truth. Some just stumble over it. For instance, um, in Israel today, there's a lot of buried treasure in the ground. That's why they have archaeological teams that are looking for buried treasure, old ruins. You've got to remember in Jesus' day, they had no banks, they had no vaults, they had no climate-controlled storage for your stuff. So people would take their valuables and they would bury them. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 25, the wicked lazy servant did what? He buried the master's treasure just outside. That's because it was common practice. So Jesus is describing a practice that many people would understand. I want you to activate your imagination just for a moment and let me kind of play this out. Uh, just feature that there was a man and he was walking along and crisscrossing a path in Israel. And as he was walking along, maybe it had been a long day, he had been out working, he was tired. And as he was walking toward the home, he, he hit something. It sounded a little different. Maybe something had worked up to the top of the earth. And he, he, he takes just a moment to think, oh my goodness, maybe this is one of these legendary buried treasures. And he begins to dig a little bit, and he opens it up, and soon he unearths this phenomenal treasure box. Looks like, oh my goodness, the treasures of Cleopatra. Can you imagine? Here we see these amazing treasures, and he looks around to see if anybody has discovered that he has made this discovery. He sees no one observing. He quickly buries it. And then, with a sense of great joy, he goes off. And he finds the owner of the land so he can achieve his goal. 
and that is to get the treasure without encumbrance so he buys the field. Oh, my friend, that's a picture of a person who stumbles into the treasure. Now, there are a lot of Bible examples of people who do that. One would have been the Apostle Paul. Was he looking for Jesus on the road to Damascus? No, he was looking to go kill Christians. And what happens? On the road to Damascus, he meets Jesus, and Jesus becomes the greatest treasure of his life. The same happened with the woman at the well in Samaria. Did she go looking for treasure? No, she was just stumbling along noonday, and she was looking for water, but she finds the source of living water. And she is never the same because she accidentally finds God. Uh, let me give you a modern-day story that's absolutely fascinating. Have you heard the name? Uh, we've been thinking about the 50th landing on the moon. Have you heard the name of Charlie Duke? Charlie Duke, absolutely astonishing guy. He was one of the 12 men who left footprints on the moon. But I want you to hear the story of Charlie Duke, who currently lives in New Braunfels, Texas. He writes, after walking on the moon, I was bored. Fame, fortune, a spot in the history books, I had it all. But if you'd been a fly on the wall in my home, you would have seen that I wasn't so hot. I was failing miserably as a husband and a father. Though I had gone to church all my life, I had all of God that I needed in that one hour every Sunday morning. Even the moon had not been a spiritual experience. I wasn't looking for God. I only knew Jesus the way you know U.S. presidents, in name only. My business succeeded. The money rolled in, but I was bored again. But my wife, Dottie, wasn't. She had changed. Her depression had lifted. She demonstrated a new and believing faith. She turned to God, not to me, for answers. One night, I attended a Bible study with Dottie that focused on the penetrating question from Matthew chapter 16, who is Jesus? All my life, I said the words, Jesus is the Son of God, but I'd never really trusted Him. That night, I came face to face with the opportunity to follow Jesus. I prayed with Dottie in the front seat of her car and gave my life over to Jesus Christ. I didn't see angels. I didn't hear music. There were no blinding lights, but I knew that I knew it was real. The next day, I woke with an insatiable desire to read God's Word. It cost the government $400 million for me to walk three days on the moon, and then it was over. But to walk with Jesus is free, and it lasts forever. Amen? Uh, Charlie Duke got it right. You see, he wasn't looking for the Lord, but he stumbled into him. Now, friends, maybe you've come here to get your little dose of God. Kind of like Charlie Duke. Come sit down here, get a little dose of God. He's all you need. A little devil do you. And then you go on your merry, foolish way, unchanged, unimpacted, unaffected, living your life to your own tune. There's a better way. There's the Jesus way of understanding that he is your treasure. So you need to sell out and buy up. Number two, the priceless pearl. You see, some seek out kingdom truth. Now, again, it's a similar story, but instead of stumbling along, 
This is the picture of a seeker, someone who is diligently searching for that pearl of great price. You see, a pearl is the only precious gem that man does not make. Uh, I had, for just a moment in my life, an experience in being a pearl merchant. The year was 1977. Mary Ruth and I were dating, and uh, oh, isn't that a cute picture? I just love that picture. And so there's Mary Ruth and I, 1977, just, just a few days ago. And um, we were going to go to the Texas State Fair. Have any of y'all been to Big Tex in the Texas State Fair in Dallas? Of course, Texans say it's the king of the state fairs. You know how it is. Uh, when you're from Texas, you learn to brag. When you're from Alabama, you got something to brag about. <laughs> That's what I talk about. Anyway, I, I just tell that to my friends. Uh, but here we are, Texas State Fair. We're having such a good time, and we see the advertisement, find a pearl. And for $10, you could select a pearl, and this fellow would open it up and see what's inside of it. You know, this is where pearls come from. Unlike a diamond or a ruby or an emerald, which are crystals and they're cut and polished, pearls are formed by nature, by, human, by an organism in nature. So I selected very prayerfully and carefully this pearl. And, and this fella took a knife, he popped it open, he felt around, and he said, oh, wow, this one is huge. And he popped it out. It was the size of a golf ball. <laughs> to me it was. Right, to Mary Ruth, it was more like a BB, okay. But to me, it was the size of a golf ball. And for $10, I got my priceless girl a very reasonable pearl. That's how I looked at it. So I was a pearl merchant for just a moment. Now, pearls are born of pain. You take a little irritant, like a piece of sand, and you put it in the middle of the clam or the oyster, and it puts something called nicre on it. Nicre is a lacquer, and it accretes, and it keeps covering that little irritant until it forms this beautiful pearl. The most valuable pearl, by the way, was found in 1934 by a Filipino fisherman who found a giant clam, and he literally extracted a 15-pound pearl that's worth $35 million, and it's on display in New York. So to say the least, pearls are valuable. Well, this is a depiction of a pearl hunter. He is a pearl merchant, and he is seeking intentionally for that one in a million pearl, and he finds it. And when he finds it, he sells out to buy up, just like the Ethiopian eunuch did. Do you remember in Acts chapter 8, there was a man from Ethiopia, and he was diligently searching for God. He went to Jerusalem. He brought the scroll of Isaiah for a year's wages. He was going back to Ethiopia, and God orchestrates this meeting with a man named Philip, and Philip jumps in his chariot. He's reading Isaiah 53, for heaven's sake. How can you miss the pearl of great price, Jesus? And he leads him to the Lord. You see, he was seeking, and the Bible says, when you seek, you will find that's what happened to Lee Strobel. Do you, do you remember the story of Lee Strobel? He was an atheist journalist for the Chicago Herald Tribune. And he started seeking Jesus because his wife, who was an agnostic, went to church and got saved. L listen to what happened to Lee. My wife's changes made me curious. 
So I went to church with her to help her get out of this dangerous cult. That day I heard the gospel for the first time. I still walked out as an atheist, but I thought, if this is true, it has huge implications for my life. So I used my journalism training to begin a detailed investigation to see if there was any credibility to Christianity. I did that for a year and nine months. And then I realized that in light of the torrent of evidence flowing in the direction of the proof of Christianity, it would take more faith to remain in atheism than to become a Christian. To remain an atheist, I would have to swim upstream against the avalanche of evidence on behalf of Jesus. So on that day, I received Jesus Christ as my forgiver and my leader, my values, my character, my purpose, all changed over time. I was transformed. I can't imagine staying on the path I was on compared to the adventure, the fulfillment, and the joy of following Jesus. Oh, my friends, there's the treasure seeker. There's the pearl seeker. And I want you to apply now three quick life lessons. I want you to extract from these two powerful twin parables. The first life lesson is so simple. Knowing Jesus is your most valuable discovery. Knowing Jesus is your most valuable discovery. In the Middle Ages, there were many leaders in the Catholic Church that believed the kingdom of heaven was the Holy Roman Empire. So the Pope became somewhat of a king. And actually, the Vatican actually became a state. And it still is. I mean, it's considered a state. We have a U.S. ambassador to the Vatican because they think it's the kingdom of God on earth. The kingdom of God is simply having a personal relationship with Jesus. It's not utopia. It's not a governmental system. It's not the church. It is not the Vatican. The kingdom of God is having a personal, vital relationship with Jesus, and it's the most valuable discovery on the planet. Now, friends, our faith is not about keeping rules or rituals. It's about having a living relationship with the living Lord. That's what it means to be part of the kingdom. And Jesus deems it your most valuable possession. I read in 1940 that the British ship Niagara was leaving Auckland, New Zealand, and hit a German mine. It took this huge blow to its hull and sank in two hours. It was carrying eight tons of gold. Now, later, a salvage company comes in, and they extract from it 555 bars of pure gold. The value was $520 million. Whoa. That's a treasure to be discovered, right? But Jesus says it is nothing compared to the great value of knowing him. Here's how Paul put it. Look at your worksheet in Philippians 3.10. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the power of his resurrection. The word there, know, is gnosko. And it's the same word used when a man knows his wife. It's personal, intimate knowledge. It's experiential knowledge. And it's the most valuable treasure on planet Earth. Do you have it? Do you possess it? 
Second personal lesson, the benefits of knowing Jesus outweigh any sacrifice. You see, in both parables, men, these men, they sold out. They sold all to buy the field. They sold all for the pearl. They sold out to buy up because the value outweighs any sacrifice. Now, salvation is free, but it costs everything. Listen to how A.W. Towser put it. It doesn't take much of a man to be a Christian, but it does take all there is of him. Let that sink in. It doesn't take much of a man to be a Christian, but it does take all there is of him. Jesus wants your all. Now, Paul had it all. He was wealthy. He was intelligent. He was respected. He was a Roman citizen. He was a Jewish leader. But look on your worksheet. Here is Paul's assessment of the value that outweighs everything and is worth any sacrifice. Paul said it like this, whatever were gains to me, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, and I consider themselves as garbage compared to all the things of the world. These things are garbage that I may gain Jesus. You see, Paul surrendered all. And I want you to understand that any sacrifice is worth it. There was a man named Jim Elliott. He's a missionary that you've heard of. And after he graduated from Wheaton College, he and Elizabeth and a team of intrepid young adventurers said, Jesus is worth it. He is my all. He's my everything. He went down to the Alka Indians, and he shared his witness, and it cost his life. And he died. And yet he made the most astonishing statement written in the flyleaf of his Bible. He said, a man is no fool to give that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Jesus is worth it. He is. And there's a third lesson. Please make this last note. Acquiring kingdom treasure produces joy. The man in verse 44 who sold out it wasn't a woe is me transaction. It was a transaction of extreme joy. Oh, he knew in his heart that he was making the best deal of all times. And he did it with joy. Unlike the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler was offered a spot on Jesus' team and he walked away sad. In contrast, there was a man named William Borden. Let me close with this story. William Borden was an astonishing young man. He was the heir to the Borden Food family fortune, one of the great fortunes in America a hundred years ago. William Borden became an on-fire follower of Jesus Christ. When he graduated from high school, his parents gave him a trip around the world. And as he traveled around the world, his heart was broken for the lost. And he decided to come and be a missionary. So he went to Yale University, one of the most prestigious universities in the world, where Topher went. And there at Yale, he started a Bible study with five people. In the first year, it grew to 1,500 students. He wasn't changed by college. He changed his college. And this revival started to break out. And people got on fire for Christ, and they wanted to do missions. So this young man left it all, and he said, I'm going to China. En route to China, he stopped in Egypt, and there in Egypt, 
he was going to do some language training. He got a disease, and at age 25, he died suddenly. And the world was stunned. They thought, this cannot be. And yet, because of his example of complete commitment being sold out, that Jesus is worth it, thousands of people entered Christian service and became missionaries. In the flyleaf of his Bible, he wrote these words, three statements, no reserve, no retreat, and no regret. Mary Taylor, his biography, wrote this about Borden. Borden not only gave away his wealth, but he gave himself to the cause of Christ with such contagious joy that it was not a sacrifice, but a privilege to serve the Savior. Do you have that kind of contagious joy about the kingdom? Because you've sold out and you bought up. Well, let me give you the last thought. You you see, some people flip it. Some people say that the treasure hunter and the pearl merchant is not us, but it was Jesus. And when Jesus discovered you, he gave his all because you are his treasure. And you, precious friend, are his pearl of great price. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for sharing worship with us. We trust God has used this broadcast for your spiritual growth and encouragement. If this ministry has touched your life, please let us know. If you'd like to share in the cost of this broadcast, you may send your gifts and support to First Baptist Church. Your partnership with us will help strengthen and extend this ministry and will be greatly appreciated. And remember, when you are at the crossroads, follow Christ.